0: This is Africa Digest.
1: 1700 hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. It is a Tuesday. Hope that you're having yourself a good day so far. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, in studio with Online Sensei, Tracy Bumgada, and Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. The South African government says to assist the Congolese by sharing agricultural uh, expertise. Rwandan security forces say they have killed 19 suspected terrorists following an attack that left 14 dead near a famous mountain guerrilla sanctuary. In economics, Zimbabwe's government urged to consider revising the tax-free threshold on incomes. And lastly, in sport, eight teams to participate in the 2019 Kosafa Men's Under-17 Championship. But right now, let's cross on over to the news desk with Onelene Sinsi, as she has your latest news bulletin. S.A.B.C. News. Independent and impartial. From an African, From an
0: African perspective. perspective.
2: Thank you, Samara. A Mozambique poor observer has been shot dead in a ruling party stronghold. The latest killing in the run-up to next week's elections. Gunmen fired several shorts in at Anastasio Mataveri head of a local election observation mission as he was driving away from a workshop in the capital of the southeastern Gaza province. The attackers were involved in a car accident as they fled the scene. One died in the crash, another taken to hospital and a third was arrested. Mozambique is trying to shake off the legacy of decades of unrest after the completion of a historic treaty in August between the government and former rebel group Renamo, now the main opposition party. President Filipe is vying for a second term against four more Momade and two other candidates in the elections on Tuesday next week. Police and immigration authorities in Mozambique say 42 detained Malawian migrants had been assured of jobs in South Africa. The illegal migrants were found in a container truck heading to South Africa. Police say they had been traveling in the truck for three days before being intercepted. Former South African President Jacob Zuma's son Duduzane Zuma has told the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture that he will be taking legal action in relation to his arrest last year on corruption charges. The former President Jacob Zuma's son says the charges related to an alleged meeting he had arranged with former Deputy Finance Minister ABC Jonas and a Gupta brother. Zuma concluded his testimony at the Commission in Parktown, Johannesburg. He says he feels aggrieved by his arrest in connection with the alleged role he played in trying to bribe Jonas. He says he does not want the public to perceive him as a corrupt individual.
3: On the perception front that is purely on the court of public opinion, which is driven by a narrative that stems from media reports and allegations from wherever they come from. I'm looked at as a criminal. I'm looked at as this face of corruption, this guy that's plundered trillions out of this country which is not the case by the way so i just like to to say to the public out there i'm not corrupt i'm not taking any money from anybody i never have and i never will Um, how they take it that's that's not for me to decide but i just want to make that clear so when you see me walking around just know that it's, it's not me
2: Turkey's military has launched an offensive in Hasake in northeastern Syria near the country's border with Iraq. The United States began pulling troops back from the northeastern Syrian border yesterday, effectively giving Turkey a green light to move into the area. The Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces have spent years expanding its control across northern and eastern Syria, helped by the US-led coalition against ISIS. Lastly, the World Health Organization says more than a million people are leaving with visual impairments because they don't get the care they need for very treatable conditions. The UN agency says the increasing number of people are experiencing eye problems and losing their sight globally, particularly in low- and middle-income countries. The BBC's Juliet Mazumba.
4: An increasing number of people living with diabetes, spending too much time indoors looking at screens and a lack of access to decent eye care. These are some of the key reasons behind the rise in people suffering with sight problems around the world. Over two billion people have vision impairments or are blind, but around half of those cases could have been prevented or haven't been addressed yet. The UN agency says governments need to better integrate eye care into their national health services and make affordable treatment available to everyone.
2: Channel African News, I am on LNCNC.
3: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
4: perspective.
1: The South African government says it's ready to assist the Democratic Republic of Congo's people by sharing some experiences more in the agricultural sector. The statement has come after a meeting between South Africa's uh, ambassador in Kinshasa and the Congolese Minister of National Economy about creating jobs and diversifying the DRC economy. John Nolbamweze reports from Kinshasa.
4: The meeting between the Democratic Republic of Congo's Minister of National Economy, Jean-Lucien Boussa, and South Africa's Ambassador here, Abel Shilubane, was held on Monday at the Minister's office here in Kinshasa. Both personalities discussed about economy-related matters of high importance, including creating jobs as an opportunity for the thousands of jobless youth to get employed and diversifying this country's economy, since it's focused on mineral while there are different sectors that are able to boost the DRC economy, one of them is agriculture. South Africa's government has then expressed its will to bring support to the DRC people. Ambassador Abel Shilubani told the media his country will assist by sharing some of its experiences more in the agricultural sector. Ambassador Shilubane used the meeting opportunity to congratulate the Minister of Economy for his reappointment, Abel Shilubane.
5: Firstly, we came to congratulate the Minister on his reappointment on this important post, because for us, it's continuity, this is something that we need. But secondly, we also came to share with him some of our thinking about how best can we assist Congo in sharing some of our experiences more in the agricultural sector so that we can begin to diversify our economies from mining. Look at sectors that can create more jobs for the youth, opportunities that can create more employment for people in the villages and provinces, opportunities that can reduce the inflow of young people into the cities so that we remember we have a responsibility to grow our own province. And I think this is our discussion was
4: all about. The Democratic Republic of Congo has more than 80 million hectares of arable lands from which the only exploited is less than a half in a country where the unemployment rate is high and poverty increases on daily basis. And according to this economical analyst, the same agriculture here in the Democratic Republic of Congo remains of high importance and once it's well done, this country's products can feed millions of people all over the continent, simply yearly.
5: Agriculture is important because when you talk about economic growth, it's about production. Our country, we just produce in mining or one of the sectors of economy. So when we go to agriculture, we have some other goods to sell abroad and uh, it will increase our production, and uh, we have uh, increasing in our production or economy growth. So and secondly, the people will be hired. You know, when there is main force in a country, in agriculture, the government really puts money so that many people will have jobs. When I'm talking about agriculture, it's modern because we need to have industries, big industries to produce.
4: Meanwhile, this economist, simply Iyale, believes that boosting agriculture here will help diversifying the DRC economy and it's a way to creating jobs for the unemployed people.
5: When we really have agriculture where people can go to provinces to work, and to send who's here i think if, what they again will not be like relevant at the beginning but really they will be getting something to live in life and to take care of their family so agriculture, when people work in every uh, job you do every service you undertake if you do something what you earn you can survive so what we need in congo is to have services where people can rebuild dynamic, and have to see on so that we can survive. And everything, if you see when you produce and your production, this is, this is not like other countries that when we produce, that will impact
4: the national environment. Jean-Noel for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
5: Self-confident, on top of the situation, capable of picking up improbabilities, contradictions. He was imposing. He was a very tough negotiator. He didn't come up with a a statement to the negotiations of trying to take revenge, of blame, criticism, bitterness, retribution. What he did was to get into the mind of his adversary. I don't think the 27 years was a waste. It was quite crucial in the making of who he turned out to be.
3: Nelson Mandela, the key
0: to our freedom reconciliation and unity Rwandan
1: security forces say they have killed 19 suspected terrorists blamed for a weekend attack that left 14 dead near the Volcanoes National Park famous for its mountain gorilla sanctuary Among those were murdered include uh, ordinary residents who were found in their homes and attacked with knives machetes and stones Dozens of rebel, rebel groups are active in Mineral Rich Eastern DRC and uh, the Rwandan district of Musanze. Near the border with the DRC has been attacked repeatedly in the past. To discuss this further, we're joined on the line by Silvanus Caramera, our correspondent in Rwanda. Silvanus, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Now, who are the suspected terrorists that uh, Rwandan security forces say they have killed, and how many of them have been arrested so far?
6: Well, as directly put it up, um, these are uh, the the attackers are suspected to be the members of the FDLR. This is the terrorist group uh, as has been referred to by the government. Or the armed forces in the in the eastern part of the DRC that has always been attacking Rwanda uh, in in its western and uh, northern part of it, and uh, yeah, the attack uh, occurred in the Kenegi sector, as you, as you said, uh, in the uh, in, in Musanze province uh, in the wee hours of of, of Saturday uh, and and and, it's, and Sunday, and uh, the police has just confirmed, in fact, to confirm yesterday that. Uh, Nineteen of them have been killed following the launch of strategic searching for them in the jungles of the Virunga National Park, and uh, five of them have been arrested. Um, one of them confirming that uh, they are the members of the FDLR, and they were sent by, uh, as he put it, uh, by their bosses in the eastern part of the DRC to attack one and finally um, overthrow the government, but uh, as we speak, uh, most of them have been killed, and others have been uh, arrested. I don't know why they exactly they are being detained, but uh, uh, we we spoke to them actually in the in the eastern part of, of, of or in the northern part of Rwanda, and they confirmed they are coming from uh, this group. But one of them who is actually making the story um, is a university graduate from Rwanda, graduated in uh, in 2016. And later, crossing over to Uganda for master's degree, and uh, he confirms that he met some people there who actually told him that they are going to be hiring him uh, in the DRC in the mines of the eastern part of the DRC. And finally, um, uh, by crossing over to, to the DRC, he, he met members of the of the FCR and, and 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 integrated him and 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 finally, again uh, the forces. So this is this a guy who's really been uh, studying on you know, the government loans and so on and so forth, but has really confirmed that uh, those who attacked uh, uh, have been coming from the from the FDLR.
1: Mm. Now the assailants, who mostly carried traditional weapons like knives, attacked the Kinigi sector in Musanze district, where the Volcanoes National Park offers tourists a chance to view endangered mountain gorillas. Has the safety of tourists been compromised as a result of the attack
6: no I mean um, as we speak uh, we haven't seen any any consequences of it because after all this uh, this area has always been guarded by heavy armed uh, soldiers uh, because um, this place uh is regarded by the government as the main source of the foreign revenues and uh mountain gorilla has always been the 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 the, the area where rwanda really gets a lot of money and the tourists have always been flocking into the area every year every now and then you find um uh, very many people moving to 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 that area so as we speak there is um as you might know, or maybe everybody might be knowing, there's a lot of um, uh, people going there. Uh, a series of, of of activities going on there, but because of this heavily uh, uh, military presence, uh, I mean, soldiers' presence of 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 soldiers, there isn't any problem that people have really been seeing or even mind about. Because after all, uh, this place, if the, if if soldiers have not been um, been maybe uh, patrolling there, especially in the night. We should have been perhaps seeing such atrocities in the past, but the presence of military, uh, I mean soldiers, um, doesn't pose any threat to, to, to any that is going there.
1: Now, Silvanus, you've mentioned that uh, some of these assailants have been arrested, some of them have been killed. Uh, as a result of this, should we expect a re- uh, retaliation of some sort?
6: I don't think so because uh, I personally live in here and I've been uh, frequently going to the to, to that place and 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 experience what is happening. If you look at those asylums, if you look at those attackers, most of them are in their twenties, uh teens, so to speak, and uh, you could just observe from your from from, from your eyes that they are not the militarily really experienced. Uh, if you observe clearly and thoroughly, you find that these are small, useful people that have been uh, uh, hooked up to really join this uh, this group in the eastern part of the Congo. Either because some of them don't have jobs, or some of them have, have just finished their studies and you know mm-hmm. stay loitering uh, around in the in the towns and so on and so forth. So I don't think there is any um, any big any big threat to, to to those who really stay there because. Uh, after, if if there were soldiers, uh, for example, uh, or if, even the the deserters, for example, from the from the government, uh, maybe soldiers, that would pose threat. But going by the the, the pictures that have uh, have always been going on social media, going by what I've seen uh, myself uh, talking to them, I don't think there is any threat really, or I don't expect any any such attack uh, to, to to happen. I don't think so.
1: All right, and uh, with regards to the people that were left dead uh, after the attack, especially those who were ordinary citizens uh, found in their homes and attacked with these knives and and machetes and stones, uh, what is the the way forward that uh, the government is proposing with regards to that?
6: Well, the the. The security organs have, uh, have have gone there and the other local government officials and even some minister, ministers have gone there and uh, led the district barrier to the victims. And the government has repeatedly stayed state uh, even assured uh, security and safety for those people. And uh, the Minister of Local Affairs has, has uh, already uh, spoken out that uh, uh, those who, especially those victims, uh, the government, through the district authorities will be moving closer to them and uh, and and help them, but then they they divulge much more about which types of the help they are going to be assisted to, to be offering to these people. But the government has always been saying that uh, those who really, uh, got uh, victimized by the att- by the attacks, they are going to be you know moved to closer to so that they can help them. Yeah, I think that is uh, what the government has always said, and. Uh, I- um, I mean, soldiers and the government at large has said um, no more such attacks, and uh, citizens should be should be feel safe and safe, and you know, continue working, working with their with their activities.
1: And Silvanus, uh, when it comes to the um... The the, the, the the Volcanoes National Park which we know is famous for the Mountain Gorilla Sanctuary and we know that you've said that there hasn't been any, um, uh, the safety of the tourists hasn't been compromised as a result of the attack but what do we expect that this attack is going to do in terms of tourism in the region? Uh, is, is there a sense of fear from people who are supposed to be travelling there?
6: Well, first of all, for the sake of, uh, of our listeners, this volcano park uh, is 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 um, is bordering with uh, with Uganda and the DRC and the Rwanda. And you find there is, so to speak, uh, if I may say, this porous border that uh, borders uh, uh, Rwanda and Uganda, for example, and the DRC. You find on the side of Rwanda security is tightened and the and 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 the and soldiers and, and you know the, the overnight patrols um are ongoing there but as you know it is a very large area thick jungles and uh, it is very difficult for um you know every time to really make sure that nobody crosses over to rwanda and most of these attacks come from the drc because uh, on the other side of the drc or even uganda if you want there's no this tight security as, as on the side of Rwanda. So we can't stand on our two feet and say maybe the, the, there will not be any other attack of that, of that similar nature. But uh, going by what has been uh, uh, transpiring over the, over the years, um, and because of this tight security, um, that Rwanda has seen this, this safety and security, so to speak. But one, well, once in a while, like the one that we are talking about, you know, these people happen to sneak into Rwanda, infiltrate and kill some people. And by the way, going to the nature of the killings, this is similar to what happened in 1994 in Rwanda, because most of the people are killed using the traditional weapons. And the reason why they use these traditional weapons, they don't want to maybe cause chaos and you know, people to scream and let you know soldiers who are who are nearby uh, get alerted to what is taking place. And uh, that's why even some people, some analysts here, believe that uh, going by the nature of the killings that occurred uh, in, in the midnight of, the, of, of Saturday, uh, these guys are coming from the from the FDRR, which is mainly composed of those assailants that conducted or even perpetrated the perpetrated genocide in Rwanda in 1994. So basically, there have been this sense of uh, security, safety, and so on and so forth, but uh, these uh, once in a while attacks you you can't just confirm that maybe it won't be happening. But uh, on on the other side, for example, on the side of the government and and the soldiers for this matter, when you move to the area and and see what is happening, you find that there's a sense of of hope that perhaps it won't happen again.
1: Mm. Well, so, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And that was uh, Sylvanas Karamera, our Rwandan correspondent on the line from the capital in Kigali. The time is now 17.23, Central African time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi.
5: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment
1: Government officials and South African education leaders and influencers will gather next week, Tuesday, in Johannesburg for the launch of the Catalyst Community, a platform that connects global education leaders with like-minded peers committed to taking action for change and the improvement in education. The global education sector has many challenges and leaders often find themselves uh, operation in uh, silos. Uh, therefore, the platform helps change agents to take action together and drive meaningful transformation in education. Working together to achieve this mission is the Harvard Institute for Learning and Teaching and Partners. For more on this initiative, here's Candice Dupreer, Chief Marketing Officer for Fibotech.
8: It's an online community that specifically supports leaders in solving challenges. And that's really where it all started. Founding partners who are the likes of Smart Technologies, Harvard Institute for Teaching and Learning, Conrad Foundation, and a couple of of key professors, namely professors, that specifically supports leaders in solving challenges. And that's really where it all started. Founding partners who are the likes of Smart Technologies, Harvard Institute for Teaching and Learning, Conrad Foundation, and a couple of, of key professors uh, namely Professor Stephen Hicknell, they looked at this and, and obviously they've been key um, change agents within education globally for a number of years. And um, they looked at this and thought, you know what, leadership in general is a very scary place and it's a very lonely place. So what better platform to give a leader than, than something like Catalyst?
0: Now, Candice, explain to us how exactly will this platform work? I mean, I'm trying to understand what exactly will it entail. Does it mean that education experts will be able to pose questions online on certain challenges that they face um, within the education system and hopefully get responses from their peers around the globe in terms of how to go about addressing a certain education challenge?
8: So yes, these founding partners have set up a sort of a task team that will be representing each of them to respond to the questions on a daily basis. So the the change agents um, don't have to post daily. It's up to them how involved they would want to be. But this just gives them that platform to know that there are people on the other end who are there to assist them and support them. So the, the representatives, like I said, will then send it out to other individuals and also it gives other people on the platform a chance to respond as well. I think it's really just giving them another voice. And um, I think the, the key about this platform is that it, it looks at four different pillars. So it looks at social and emotional learning. So if we think about the stabbings that are going on at the moment in the Haring School, this would be a place where we could go and post and say, you know, what do we do about this? We're talking about social-emotional learning. You know, we talk about giving kids the the skills for future. What do they need for the future? They need computational thinking, collaboration. But if we have a look at what's happening in our schools, in fact, we need to take a step back as well and say, right, so as much as it's preparing them for future, how do we get them back to basic skills? And this is also a platform that allows for that. So we look at social-emotional learning. We look at immersive learning environments. So if we're building new schools or refurbishing old ones, How do we ensure that this is an environment that supports learning for the future? When we have a look at edtech outcomes, how do we adopt technology that is positioned around outcomes? And then lastly, we look at student equity. So pedagogy, you know, our curriculum, how do we engage around that? So there's different pillars. And like I said, there's a number of polls already running on there. And a couple of the professors that are on board with this have put, put some of their research on there. And it um, hasn't launched yet. It launches tomorrow in Sydney. We actually have an a event in Johannesburg on Tuesday next week. So there's an opportunity for change agents around the country to join us there as well. And this is, again, where we will be posting questions that are taking place in our, in our country posting questions and and discussing them in workshops
0: now speaking of the south african context can you elaborate on some of the big education issues that have been identified as areas that need to be addressed urgently and what sort of action is needed really you've mentioned a few can you expand on that
8: I think if we have a look at a couple of things, I think the first is I took national. The DBE is um, launching a a brand new framework where they're bringing coding into the classroom. And um, I think a lot of the, the principals are quite apprehensive about this because, you know, they've been apprehensive just about technology on its own. Now coding and robotics, that's something that's very unfamiliar to a lot of our teachers. Just to put it in context, we were very fortunate as a partner in South Africa to be involved in NEC La Sufi, so the education NEC in Hateng, part of his paperless classroom initiative.
1: That was Candice Dupria, chief marketing officer for Fibotech, a local representative for global leading manufacturers of education and collaboration technology. On the line, talking to Jane Rabotata. The time is seventeen thirty Central African Time. Let's uh, get a quick update from Onel in your news headlines. S.A.B.C. News, independent and impartial. From an
0: African perspective.
2: A Mozambique poll observer has been shot dead in a ruling party stronghold. The latest killing in the run-up to next week's election. Police and immigration authorities in Mozambique say 42 detained Malawian migrants had been assured of jobs in South Africa. And the World Health Organization says more than a million people are leaving with visual impairment because they don't get the care they need for very treatable conditions. Channel Africa News, I'm Oni Linzindzi. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website www.channelafrica.co.za Channel Africa, from an African perspective.
1: South Africa's Standard Bank Gallery in Johannesburg is currently exhibiting a resilient visionary, poetic expressions of David Kolwane, an exhibition curated by art historian Tim Goniwe. The exhibition opened in Johannesburg on the 4th of this month following its run in Cape Town earlier this year. It launched in Johannesburg a few months ago after Kolwane's passing. The exhibition therefore stands as a commemorative tribute to his work and his life. The exhibition will close on the 6th of December this year. Dr. Konewe explains.
5: A
9: resilient visionary, poetic expression of David Kolwane. It's an exhibition I've been working on for a few years back, trying to profile David's work, as well as celebrate his ideas, in particular his drawing, his painting, his dreams. So the exhibition is assembled about it. some, uh, I hate to saw words from a different range of his creative production. That's what the is about.
2: For an African or a South African who doesn't know who David Kolwane is, who is David Kolwane?
9: Oprah Day is an artist from Johannesburg who grew up, schooled there and worked and lived there but has traveled the world. And he studied art in the late 60s, you know, mentored by Ulus Matrubella, one of the great South African artists now living in London. So Ulus Matrubella, they met in school and then he mentored him, encouraged him to draw and then brought him to to police streets just to get encouragement, took him to galleries at the time when but he would say himself that because of apartheid, gallery was meant for only wines. So for him to have met Luis, Pra and take him to the gallery as well as encourage encouraging draw, it was just a really revelation and, and encouragement. That was the first stage of his intervention. But of course, like many of us, he studied as art during his primary school. Because they, he, during an interview, he would speak highly about reading and uh, sketching, you know, and one of his teachers noticed that and encouraged him to read more, so much that he will give him some books to read, because David is an avid reader. And then when Lewis was heading to London in the 70s, he introduced him to the late Bill Ainsley, also, one of the great painters in South Africa, Bill Ainsley, was then in Johannesburg running uh, a studio in his house where different artists, including William Kenridge, Dumile and many others of different race, even gender, will come at Bill Ainsley and work and some will get lessons. And David joined the Bill Ainsley, <clears throat> we call it now Academy. As a, as a student, and then it became like best friend with Bill Ainsley, who also like Louis Macoubir encouraged David to explore his own ways of expressions, and and that this is the same and remember at that time South Africa is changing with the students' uprising, especially that like uh, the Black Consciousness. Movement, the likes of late Steve the likes of now Professor Pani Pichana, Mpumran, and many others were involved in the BC movement, including Momampelo and other people. So, of course, that moment of being young and being energetic, and of course, the rise also of the poets such as Oprah Wallace Roth, the writers, and all of that. So, David was part of that kind of culture. And Bill Henry offered that because even Sirota and many others would visit, they had to exchange ideas. So it was one of those places where different races would meet at the time apartheid presented that. So David comes out of that.
2: Now in terms of the exhibition what can one pick up from the exhibition because I see you chose a variety of paintings to be part of this exhibition but for an art enthusiast who comes who goes to view this exhibition, what can they expect to see there?
9: So to answer your question what you get in that exhibition is a range of the work one series is what you call it uh, assemblage, assemblage, which is more like a collage, recycled materials. Sometimes they operate as reduced sculptures. So that's one series where you will take bicycle, old bicycle uh, wheels, combine it with old saxophone, with wood, to create these so-called compelling images that they speak of the everyday material.
1: And that was Dr. Timbikosi Koniwe, renowned South African art historian on the line talking to Tuto Ngobeni. Now October is Transport Month in South Africa and during this month the country's Department of Transport and its entities showcase transport infrastructure services in aviation, maritime, public transport and roads. This month will also be used to further advance the country's road safety initiatives while also creating awareness of the economic benefits of the sector. Here to talk to us a little bit more, joining us on the line is a spokesperson at South Africa's Transport Department, Ayanda Ali Payne. Ms. Ali Payne, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very
3: much for having me. A very good afternoon to yourself and to your listeners.
1: First of all, I have not had the opportunity to congratulate you on the appointment. So congratulations, and uh, we see the work that you're doing out there. Um, Uh, That's
3: very kind of you, thank you so much. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Now, Ayanda, tell us, what is the key focus of this year's Transport Month?
3: I think your intro sort of captured the essence of what we're trying to do in Transport Month. You did an excellent job of wide and varied transport. We think transport, and oftentimes we think of the cars that are moving past me, as you speak. But there's so many things. There's uh, the public transport components. that's the rail as well, there's aviation, there's maritime. You know, the, the latter two, we're working really hard to transform the sector there. We're working very hard to make sure public transport is efficient, is effective, and of course, there is over how much it costs, and it's safe. So those are some of the aspects that we'll be looking into when we focus on transport by highlighting some of the infrastructure development that we uh, look into at transport as well
1: now when working in an administration like the, uh, the, the the department of transport you are essentially inheriting um problems from a, a different administration how do you plan on dealing with the challenges of the inefficiencies of the public transport that you have inherited um, from the previous administration
3: look the administration tried as much as humanly possible, I believe, to advance the cause of transport. There's some excellent work that they have done. There's some noteworthy contributions that uh, they have uh, made to the transport sector. We must applaud them for that. Um, but you know, some of the issues that persist uh, are inherited from previous administrations, and not just this past one as well, mm-hmm. how we deal with road safety and the car. This is something that's not new, you know, it's been there as old as times, so I might say, as soon as we had vehicles, I suppose, in South Africa. So the issue of the carnage is nothing new. The issue that people are talking about maybe uh, the taxi sector and that uh, we've uh, taken from the previous administration and are trying to uh, revise now and move forward with the issue of rail and uh, the lack of safety, uh, the poor infrastructure, uh, Into of broken windows, the carriages, no seats etc. Those are issues that I know that uh, we have inherited, and what has begun. We and we're going to try and expedite, expedite it. You'll know the six administration is not only known for timeliness, but uh, we've also adopted the ethos of kauleza, where we're saying we don't just want to be sex, but mm. we want to go quickly, and we want to deliver as fast as we possibly can.
1: Our oh, special so spokesperson, our so special diplomatic. <laughs> hey. <laughs>
3: No, <laughs> oh, but it's very true And I understand, you know, it's easy to Blame and say, oh, you know, yes. we've got all these Problems, here's the person to blame But it's a multiple um, Component, I mean, take road safety for example You do need to say governments must Do more, you know, traffic officers take bribes, and we need to Tighten up the laws when it comes to Road safety, but equally you and I have a Role to play, right, the social context Comes to the party, we must make sure that We don't drink and drive, that we don't Exceed the speed limits, that we don't Taxi drive that we mm. are respectful of other cultures, so that's why I'm saying you know you can't really point your finger at one person in the in this uh, chain. You know, all stakeholders must have their hands on deck.
1: That is very true. Now, Ayanda, when it comes to the maritime and aviation transport industries, what are the key focuses there?
3: Transformation, transformation, transformation. You know, there are so many opportunities that are in maritime. Uh, the minister recently came back from Colombia. Uh, from the international Maritime Organization, and uh, you looked at a number of job creation components that are there from the ports to shipbuilding uh, to having seafarers out and about where so many South Africans are actually locked out of that uh, economic opportunity for a number of reasons aviation as well. the minister just came back from Canada, where South Africa is making great strides when it comes to aviation, but when we see um, the makeup of the industry, we're still seeing that um brown or black faces are just in the cabin crew, but mm. where the means of production are, we are scarce, few and far between women in particular. So those are some of the issues that we want to look into. The Minister is really passionate about unlocking the economic opportunities in aviation and in maritime, as it pertains to the majority of South Africans.
1: And how are we going to ensure that these programs run for a, a long term and not just, you know, something that is just um, for this month?
3: Wonderful. Now, what you'll know, and I'm going to bring in case study or as an example. Sure. The minister is well aware of the fact that we're great at making plans. When we came into this uh, particular department as a sixth administration, we found that people already knew what was wrong. People already knew uh, what some of the challenges were. But perhaps they needed a fresh perspective just to, to expedite uh, the, the implementation. And so we're finding that with these initiatives that we have, they're already underway. They're already pointed in the right direction. All we need to do is sort of put in that extra energy of uh, Mr. Rasmus Mr. Fixit, mm. as we would know him now, but also put in plans for monitoring and evaluation so that it is not just a once-in-a-lifetime um, in a opportunity And with the cameras and the glare of the media are no longer focused on transport to things dissipate. So we have put tight measures in place to make sure that there is weekly monitoring and evaluation. Insofar far as I said, in the war room, there are daily reports on how things are going, and they started way before transport land. So the same thing, when the minister addressed women in aviation not too long ago, he said to them, I don't just want us to be a talk shop, and then we talk about it, we have tea, and we go home. I want some measurable deliverables, days and times, things that you can commit to so that this time next year, we can measure you against what you have promised. So I think uh, monitoring and evaluation is quite key, uh, and there's a lot of uh, energy to make sure that people
1: Now, uh, Ayanda, very quickly, we have about 30 seconds before we need to go to our business news. I just want to know, uh, coming up is the festive season. How urgent is the issue of reducing road carnages?
3: You know, when it comes to that, we've done a number of things. Number one, we've revived the Arrive Alive campaign. We've given it new life, new energy. New mm-hmm. logo, a new mandate to make sure that it, you know it expedites again. Like I said, the result that we want to see, which is to decrease road fatalities. Number two, the Arso bill is in place. We've seen uh, um, uh, the launch of it in uh, several places in Kardeng as a pilot. We've learned where we went right and where we can improve, and we're looking forward to it being rolled out next year. But also visibility. Minister, looking into whether or not we can get the road twenty-four hours a day. He's in consultation with the, the labor unions, he's in consultation with the various provinces and the, and the municipalities to make sure that we can try and get more visibility. So all hands are on deck when it comes to that. We are looking forward to reduce uh, fatalities on the road. And you know, it looks we can even get to none, we, we would ultimately have that as a goal. But however, we are looking forward to the fact that we want South Africans to partner with us. Transport is not just for mm. the department, it's for all of us to take responsibility of
1: Ayanda, it's always great talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us.
6: Thank you very much. Thank
1: you. (laughs) And that Uh, is Ayanda Ali Payne, spokesperson at South Africa's Transport Department. But right now, let's cross on over to the money desk. Here's Tracy Boomgaard with your economics news.
0: Thank you, Samora. An investigation is underway into Namibia's Agriculture Ministry for alleged fraud and kickbacks. The Anti-Corruption Commission has confirmed a case was registered on various allegations pertaining to the purchasing of materials and equipment, including those meant for the foot and mouth operation at the Ministry of Agriculture, Water and Forestry. It's alleged that unnecessary equipment was purchased in 2013 for equipment to fight the foot and mouth disease outbreak that hit northern Namibia. A research report released by international rating agency Moody's shows South African companies' liquidity is adequate despite some pockets of risk. The report analysed 18 non-financial companies. It found that funding conditions for those companies are expected to remain stable over the next 12 to 18 months. This is in line with the rating agency's assessment that the South African banking sector will remain resilient over the next year to year and a half. Amina Akram reports. Moody's key measurements of sufficient liquidity is for companies to have enough available liquidity resources to meet pending debt, maturities and other cash requirements of a 12-month period. This without access to new funding. However, the report highlights that cash flows of the real estate investment trusts that Moody rates are under pressure. The report analyzed companies in mining, real estate, chemicals and telecom sectors. Oil prices have erased earlier gains after Washington's blacklisting of 28 more Chinese businesses reduced hopes for a trade agreement between the two countries. Oil prices were boosted in early trade as unrest in Iraq and Ecuador increased supply concerns. While the U.S. has blacklisted the 28 Chinese organizations for their alleged involvement in abuses against ethnic Uyghurs in China's Xinjiang province, The organizations are now on the so-called entity list, which bars them from buying products from U.S. companies without approval from Washington. The 28 targets include both government agencies and technology companies specializing in surveillance equipment. China reacted angrily, dismissing the U.S. allegations as groundless. It is not the first time the U.S. has put Chinese groups under a trade ban. In May, the Trump administration added telecommunications giant Huawei to the entity list because of security fears over its products, particularly its 5G systems. United States President Donald Trump's warned of dire consequences for the Turkish economy should Turkey launch an attack on Kurdish fighters across the border. This, as Turkey said, preparations had been made for a military operation in northeastern Syria. Nombioselo Tango has more. Kurdish forces were key
2: U.S. allies in defeating the Islamic State militant group in Syria. Howitzers are positioned on Turkish side of the border across Syria town of Tel Abayad. U.S. forces withdrew from an area between two towns on Monday.
0: The US dollar is trading at 358.09 Nigerian Naira, 10.89 Botswana Pula, at 102.91 Kenyan Shilling, and at 13.12 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.05 Brazilian Hail, 64.62 Russian Ruble, 70.51 Indian Rupee, 7.14 Chinese Yuan, and at 15.02 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 81 pence to the British pound and at 91 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,491 and platinum at $878 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $58.65 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard.
1: Now it's time for your sport. Here is Neto Chimani.
7: Thank you, Samara, from the Sports Desk. A very good afternoon. Starting off with rugby news... The Springboks have booked their place in the quarterfinals of the 2019 Rugby World Cup when they hammered Canada 66-7 in Kobe today. Scrum half Grubas-Reinach backed three tries within the first 20 minutes of the contest, securing the fastest ever hat trick in Rugby World Cup history in the process. The box in the first half in particular were simply on a different level to their North American opponents as they ran in a total of ten tries on the Day. The result means that the boxer will almost certainly finish second in Pool B and book a quarterfinal on Sunday, October the 20th, against either Japan or Ireland. In football news, there will be eight teams participating in the 2019 Kasafa Men's Under-17 Championship, namely Angola, Comoros Island, Lesotho, Malawi, Mauritius, Mozambique, South Africa and Zambia. South Africa coach Vela Kumalo has named his final 20-man squad that will compete in the 2019 edition of the Under-17 Championship in Plantaya, Malawi from October the 11th to the 20th. As a mentor, Kumalo has more on his team the preparations.
10: We are busy at the moment we are in the camp. The camp started on the second, uh, where we had about forty players, where we needed to cut them down to twenty. At the moment, we are having twenty, and we have been going through the preparations, uh, our sessions, and our our friendlies, which things are adding up, and we're looking forward to go and play in Malawi. As you remember, we having two uh, teams here, not necessarily between two age groups, where we have under-14s and under-15s, and these under 15 and under-14s are going to compete at the under-17 tournament in kosafa in Malawi. So the reason why we have the two is because we wanted to, to prepare these boys for uh, for qualification next year. So if we get them right to this year, introduce them to the Kosafa and all of that next year, they'll be ready.
7: South Africa is in Group A alongside hosts Malawi, Zambia and Eswatini. Asked about what he, what his team is hoping to achieve from the tournament, Kumalo says he will be exhilarated if they make it to the semifinals. You know, you never limit
10: yourself. You always say you want to, to achieve more. If we can go to the semifinals, if we get to the semifinals, go out of the group stage, which I think, with what I've noticed now, with what I've seen, we really did not have enough time to do the preparations, but I can tell you now, this is the ambitions of any other coach who says, you can have that go in and say, I'm just introducing them. But at the same time, you say, I'm introducing them, but at the same time, there are targets that you say, if they get to the semi finals, let them have the feelings, those good bumps of saying, want to qualify. Now it's not at stages, you want to. To do better in the in the, in the Nogat stages, you know, after semi-finals is anyone's game. So if we can get to the semi-finals, I'll be happy.
7: The Secretary-General of the Council for East and Central Football Africa Football Associations, sakafa Nicolas Musonye, has hailed the talent exhibited by the youngsters at the just-concluded Under-20 Sakafa Challenge Cup in Uganda. Kenya's emerging stars lost to Tanzania by a solitary goal on Saturday in the final of the two-week tournament, which attracted 11 other national teams and was staged in the towns of Jinja and Gulu. The next regional tournament will be the Sakafa Senior Challenge Cup in Kampala come December, where Kenya's Harambi Stars will be all out to defend their title. In athletics news, top Nigerian sprinter Blessing Kakbari has explained the reason behind her poor performance at the 2019 IAAF World Championships, which ended in Doha, Qatar on Sunday. The national and African record holder in the 100 metres and 200 metres was expected to put up a podium performance in the sprints and the 4 x 100 metres relay, but her Doha 2019 ended in tears and anguish. Channel Africa's Tony Ubani reports.
9: Okagbare submitted that she was mentally drained after she was initially disqualified for not showing up for the 100 meters which she didn't want to run but at latest Federation of Nigeria still registered her name it was a difficult championship for me there are a whole lot of things I don't want to question Okagbare, you know said out there in Doha my intention coming here was to win a medal and that was why I wanted to run only the 200 meters and also wanted to be the best for the girls in the relay, but from day one of this championship, I was mentally drained. So much of my mental state was taken away from me. I spent two nights crying. Disqual- the disqualification was the least thing I expected.
7: For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Nato N E T O Chamani.
0: This is Africa Digest. That wraps up Africa
1: Digest for this hour. We're back again at 1900 hours Central African time. But should you want to send us comments in the meantime, send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to plus 27763003327 and you can also tweet us at channelafrica1. Taking us to the top of the hour is Mama by Kaja Nin. We'll see you again later.